if you haven't heard about restaking before you heard it here first and it's it's i think it's the biggest innovation which happened last year and you'll see my hot take is that you'll see a bunch of new use cases which use restaking a lot because think about it this way if i'm setting up a new service like an oracle or a, lo a lot of these cross-chain bridges which need some form of consensus i can now borrow ethereum's consensus instead of creating my own Hey listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your support helps us reach more listeners and bring you more exciting content in the future. Hello, and welcome to The Crypto Brief, a podcast from Fidelity Center for Applied Technology. Every week we get together to discuss current events and trends in blockchain technology, tokenization, DeFi, NFTs, mining, and related aspects of the crypto ecosystem. I'm your co-host, Ryan Stubbe, Director of Bitcoin Mining, and I'm joined by Jason Ward, Head of the Blockchain Incubator, Parth Gargava, Product Architect with Fidelity Labs, and Jack Newrider, Research Associate with Avon Ventures. Before we begin, just a friendly reminder that this discussion is for educational purposes only and should not be viewed as investment advice or a recommendation for any security or asset. The views expressed are those of the co-hosts and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. As we all know, crypto as an asset class is highly volatile, can become illiquid at any time, and is only for those investors with a high risk tolerance. Let's dive into what's been happening recently. Hello, hello. Good morning. Parth, your your hair grew back. It's been that long since I've seen you. <laughs> and I guess for the for context, Parth got a, a haircut that we've never never seen before. <laughs> and all his hair was gone. <laughs> my my fiance is so mad at me. Like even so she she's not convinced that it's gonna grow back in like its full form before the wedding. So <laughs> Isn't that six months away? <laughs> yeah. Four ish. Four. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. An you know, ongoing trend here. We'll have to measure every uh, every month or so. How close are you, Park? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, all right, I think we can um, we can just jump in. So a couple of stories we wanted to cover today. The first um, being that EtherFi uh, rolled out a new liquid staking token, um, EETH, um, which is going to enable uh, restaking on the Egan layer. Egan layer. You know, I, we've had a conversation about liquid staking before, um, and I think restaking is a really interesting kind of newer concept. So we'll at least revisit, you know, what liquid staking is, and then talk talk a bit about restaking. Um, and then the second story we wanted to cover today was um, DTC's acquisition of Securency, which is a tokenization platform. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about what that means uh, for DTCC and and um, you know the tokenization ecosystem more broadly. Um, before we jump in. Parth, you you always seem to be busy and up to something. Is there anything that you've tried recently that you want to talk about? Yeah. So uh, so this week I tried. Uh, I actually I built a compound liquidation bot, and uh, this was a fun technical challenge because I spent my Sunday over this. But uh, for those of you who don't know, Compound is a crypto money market. Uh, so it's like a lending protocol which runs on Ethereum, and you can borrow or uh, loan crypto assets permissionlessly. Uh, and so oftentimes you can also earn interest on crypto by supplying assets or you pay an interest if you are borrowing assets. Now, I'm sure most of you know this, but the way it works for any sort of lending market is that you have a loan position which you can pay and you get your collateral back. But that's the happy scenario, right? Uh, the sad scenario is that you could default on your loan 
which means ideally you should lose part of your collateral or full collateral. Now, a lot of people think in crypto, when you default on your loans, the protocol, in this case, Compound, will liquidate your assets, but that's typically not the case. And that's the reason why I thought we should talk about it. Because a lot of, so you, so in Compound, you have humans, people like us, who are regularly on a lookout for these hyper-risky loans, and they get a chance to liquidate someone's uh, bad debt. And so that's exactly what I did uh, on Sunday. Instead of Compound liquidating you, it's Parth. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so Parth, can we can we talk a little bit more about how this works? Maybe for like the non-technical crowd here, because I do think it's I do think it's interesting, and I think it's worth kind of peeling back the layers a bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so the first thing which you have to understand is in any sort of crypto lending protocol, liquidation can happen in two cases. One is when your borrow balance goes way too high or the value of your collateral goes to, to near zero or goes too low. Based on like a loan to value ratio. Exactly. Right? And is that set at the loan level or is that set at the protocol level with Compound? So with Compound, it's set at a protocol level, but you have different tranches. You can have different kinds of loans. And so so, so the moment someone's loan becomes too risky, you you have these people who build bots and the bot jumps in and sells off the collateral to pay back the loan. But in return, uh, the board gets to keep, to in order to do this cleanup job, they get to keep part of the collateral. So I guess you could say uh, I'm uh, I'm part of the collections department in Cryptoland now, but but that's the TLDR, so. I don't know, I'm not sure if you wanna be, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I'm not sure if you wanna fall into that camp, Parth, <laughs> or want that association. <laughs> you say that and I have like conjured things of cryptographic signatures from Parth, this is billing. I, I was just, yeah, yeah. You say it with a beaming smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess the, the, the point of talking about this was because I feel like there aren't enough liquidators. And so hopefully this motivates a few developers to write their own bots for Compound or whatever lending protocol you have on so many different blockchains. You could think about Base, Polygon, or whatever your favorite blockchain is. But just to give you an example, uh, suppose Ryan has supplied one wrapped Bitcoin to Compound, right? And the price of Bitcoin is $30,000. And Ryan, you get 30,000 USDC for supplying that, that collateral. Now, the price of Bitcoin suddenly goes to 15,000. So, so Ryan's collateralization just went to 50%. And in that case, I'm going to search or a bot is going to search for Ryan's transaction and then call two functions, which means they are absorbing that loan and buying collateral. So then I, I get to keep a part of that collateral at a discount. So that's that's kind of how uh, compound liquidation works. Okay. What's surprising to me about this whole thing is the fact that compound itself doesn't have bots that do this, yes. right? And that it's, to your point, it seems like maybe there's a need for, for the development of additional bots to perform this function on the network. Um, but I guess the question is, is why doesn't Compound do it themselves? Because they believe philosophically to have a free market for liquidation. They don't want to have the responsibility of liquidating assets. They believe that everybody who has an incentive to do it should be able to do it. Like, I'll give you one example. If the same thing was for a $10 loan, then is my bot going to go and liquidate your assets? Probably not, because I'm going to pay $5 in transaction fee. So, so, so the, yeah, so the, how do you say it? The juice has to be worth the squeeze, I guess. 
no, I like I like that. And I think it's <laughs> I think that's that's applicable here. Um and I guess just just before we move on, are there any risks associated with doing this? Right? Like so you you clearly you I think you said you wrote this yesterday on your on your day off. Um, you know, when I think about open source, like I think it's great that, you know, anyone can contribute a liquidation bot. Um, but there's also the opportunity for bugs and and things to go wrong. And I guess is there, you know, what are the risks? Is there any kind of review process that needs to happen in order for you to deploy this? And um, yeah, we can go from there. I think there's a capital risk. I could decide to liquidate a loan, which is which is pretty risky, but I may not get a profit out of it. So that's the risk uh, that I have. So I have to make sure that my incentives are aligned. There are a bunch of liquidation bots, so you don't even if I write a bot, it doesn't mean that I'm going to go. Uh, get the opportunity. So I have to compete with them based on transaction fee. It's a whole different game in itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I guess if there, if you wrote a bot and there was an issue with that bot, right, and it liquidated my loan thinking that I was under collateralized, that there was some issue, but it wasn't actually, that what actually wasn't the case. Is that a risk? Could that happen? That could happen. And that's part of the uh, Compound Smart Contract uh, library, yes. Okay. So the, the way I think about this is if I'm a lender, I actually am comfortable with having searcher bots in the ecosystem because the probability of my borrower actually defaulting is mitigated. The problem is if I have some type of duration that I want to hit for a length of generating income on that loan, my duration risk may be out of my hands based on the performance of that borrower and, and how active or proactive these these bots are. But it is it's pretty interesting, right? Because I believe the intent was to create a healthier lending ecosystem that would encourage asset owners to be willing to lend those assets. So, yeah, no, I mean, and, and, and that all makes sense. But if I was a borrower, yeah, I would be a little nervous, right? Around Absolutely. having kind of these bots, you know, again, if one of these bots thought something was awry with my loan when it actually wasn't. Well, that's why you got to understand the oracles that are coming in. And yeah. No, I mean, I think there's a great opportunity for, you know, programmers in the space to to build, you know, pretty robust offerings. Um, all right. We have we've quite a bit about to talk about um, in the news. So let's start with liquid staking and restaking. So we have we've we've had an episode before on liquid staking. Um, highly suggest you check that out. Um, but just for for people who maybe didn't tune into that episode and, and don't want to go check that episode out, uh, Jack, do you mind just kind of taking us through at a high level what um, liquid staking is, a little bit about how it works and and why people you know want to you know utilize that? Yeah, of course. And restaking, uh, specifically on Eigenlayer, is a topic that I don't think we've touched on too much, but yeah. we're probably yeah. going to start hearing about it more and more, especially as solutions to the scalability you know, trilemma. Yeah. Eigenlayer and restaking are kind of a major uh, theme within that. Uh, so, yeah. And I said Eigenlayer, Eigenlayer earlier, as we <laughs> fully expected, because I knew I was going to mess it up. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so of course, staking, I think most regular listeners here are going to be familiar. Uh, staking is is when, you know, you instead of miners uh, securing uh, consensus of the network, uh, you use validators and you stake, lock up and stake tokens, uh, and then you attest and, and validate transactions uh, on the network. So Ethereum or other proof of stake networks. Uh, one of the issues there that comes up 
especially on Ethereum, is you need to have these 32 ETH lots. And so for certain people, uh, A, it's annoying because you have to do everything in 32 increments. Uh, B, it could be an issue for you know, smaller retail participants that just want to stake a little bit. And then C, you have to lock up your tokens. And so there's liquidity issues in being able to stake and then unstake. And there's certain timelines uh, to be able to do that. And so one of the solutions that was created that we've talked about and had episodes on before, but just as a reminder, uh, is liquid staking and the evolution of liquid staking tokens, which have sort of overtaken the vast majority of the staking market. Because if you can stake your token and have better liquidity, why not? If it costs you know, similar from a cost perspective, there's not a, a whole lot of trade-offs. So liquid staking allows you to stake your ETH, delegate that ETH to a set of validators uh, in some sense. In some instances, it's more centralized. In some instances, it's more decentralized um, and receive a token. And then that token can be used as collateral. And now, and, and maybe Parth, I think you were going to introduce restaking, but this is one of those instances where you can take this collateral and potentially earn additional yield by restaking that token and, and using it as uh, security and collateral for other effectively networks being built around Ethereum. But I'll maybe use that as a starting point. Yeah, no, I think I would. I mean, thanks for that explanation. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take a step back. And uh, a lot of us might have heard of the blockchain trilemma that Jack was referring to. So the idea of a blockchain trilemma is that any sort of blockchain can choose two out of the three sides of a triangle. And the three sides are scalability, security, and decentralization. Now, Ethereum tends to incline towards decentralization and security. So Ethereum implicitly has this trust network and you have close to 800,000 validators across the world securing the Ethereum network, right? So, so one way of looking at Ethereum is that it is a decentralized trust network. Now, the question is, or the problem is, if I'm making a new blockchain or a new layer two or any sort of new crypto service, I have to spend a lot of time and resources on validating the new blockchain. So much so that I have to convince people that, hey guys, uh, please be a validator on my new blockchain and I'll give you incentives. And, and in fact, some, some networks, they don't even care. All they do is for validation, they just use AWS, right? So now eigenlayer or restaking is this concept where you can stake Ethereum, but also stake the same Ethereum for other services which need validation. So that's, that's restaking in a nutshell. Now, the question is, why would you do that, right? So Eigenlayer lets Ethereum stakers to opt into validating new services and providing more economic security for some additional fee generation opportunity, right? So, so on one side, it's doing that, but on the other side, it encourages permissionless innovation by allowing app builders to just focus on their product, right? Without caring about security, without caring about decentralization. Uh, so maybe, Jason, correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, but I, I'm trying to make an analogy here. So a simple analogy would be that if you are on Ethereum and you have sheriffs who protect the town, right? So now these sheriffs are being paid by the government. So their only job is to protect government buildings. But with Eigenlayer, they can use the same sheriff badge to protect all the other buildings in town or some buildings in town. So that's the idea of restaking, which is using the same staked ETH, which you are using for contributing to Ethereum security, 
you also decide to opt in to making other services more secure. Does this make sense? I think it does. And the way I look at it is not say, so the sheriff badge is an interesting thing, but I sort of look at it as the risk that they're managing, right? So they're extending the territorial risk that they're managing, trying to stick with that analogy. And therefore they have a higher possibility of something to protect against, uh, whether it be the, the layer one protocol or the other protocol that's inheriting the, the um, security attributes by restaking of the ETH. So, okay, I, I think I get it, but let, maybe let's let's start from the beginning, right? So I have 32 Ethereum, which is the minimum amount of ETH I need for an all full validator. I take that and I stake that ETH. What, what what next right like what's the what's the flow just just because i do yep. think it's a little bit more like you know operationally intense yeah. than people are, are maybe familiar with with staking let me let me walk you through on how it it works right so so let's so step one you decide to stake 32 eth and you become a solo home validator now what you have to do is as an eth validator you have to set your withdrawal credentials to eigenlayer's smart contracts instead of your own wallet Oh, okay. Exactly. So so now Eigenlayer accepts natively staked ETH, which was the example that you and I were talking about. Or you could also provide liquid staking tokens like Lido's ETH, Rocket Pool's ETH, or, or whatever uh, token you have. Now, if a staker performs a malicious action on a restaking service, their staked ETH can get slashed. But if they keep doing what they're supposed to do, uh, what they're supposed to do, then they earn that extra yield. So it's a high risk, high reward system, right? It's not dependent on a protocol doing well or price of a token. Just to keep Ethereum running, you can make four to 5%, but restaking gets you into different kinds of yields. So if you're building a yield optimization engine, restaking could be something which is, which is helpful. Uh, but Ryan, does that, does that answer your question? I think the it's the base rate, right? It's the reference rate. And then anything beyond that, you know, would be additional yield that you could, if you wanted to take on some additional risk. Yeah, no, that, that does make sense. Um, and thanks for the explanation. I think to me, one of the things that, you know, and I think you hit on it a bit is, so what is required of these, you know, these validators um, or these stakers that are, I guess, you know, taking on additional responsibility of, of, maintaining consensus on these other you know chains it's it's just it's the only thing you're required is to act on a service so it's running another software client on your same computer where you are staking your eat that's it and then the relationship to ethereum other than committing your your staked assets um to these different chains is there any other communication with like no. your ethereum clients no the only communication with with the ethereum protocol is that your withdrawal credentials are now, instead of your wallet, it's, it goes to Eigenlayer smart contracts. And the idea is I do want to fully appreciate why this is something super exciting. If you haven't heard about restaking before, you heard it here first. And it's it's I think it's the biggest innovation which happened last year. And you'll see, my hot take is that you'll see a bunch of new use cases which use restaking a lot. Because think about it this way. If I'm setting up a new service, like an Oracle or a, lo a lot of these cross-chain bridges, which needs some form of consensus, I can now borrow Ethereum's consensus instead of creating my own, right? And so this might, I don't know, maybe eventually it solves the uh, the problem of having 20,000 tokens in existence, right? Because a lot of times when you talk to founders, they have to create these new tokens to create an incentive 
for users to help keep their network or their servers secure. But if I if I want to create this high-performing blockchain like Solana, I don't have to necessarily create a new token called Solana. I could just focus on this high-performing blockchain, do my own thing, but for security, I could use an Ethereum validator. Parth, I think that's a huge point that a lot of people like should take away as well here. A lot of times people are asking, what's the point of the token? And the token is needed to bootstrap security and incentivize uh, validators uh, helping run and secure and decentralize these networks. But in this instance, it's like a creative alternative solution to take this existing collateral, repurpose it and reuse it I'll bet adding additional risks for the individuals that are now running this software and use choosing to use this collateral, but they earn you know an additional yield. You can kind of rip the token out, and it's a different way to think about uh, security and scalability. Um, when we, when you know layer twos is the you know sort of the hottest discussion. Um, now you have this whole you know, discussion around restaking taking place. I mean, as well. it's, it's a bad analogy, but I got to give one because I <laughs> haven't given one today. I was waiting for it. <laughs> it's kind of like those old classic department stores, right? Inside those different buildings, you have multiple different retailers or different shops that you can go to the different departments, different designers, et cetera. So if you sort of thought about ETH staking as the, the building in which these other things are housed or uh, anchored to, then it, it does work. And the one, the one additional maybe risk, because there's the individual risks of somebody that cho is choosing to restake their collateral for a given use case. Uh, the one flip side to think about from a risk perspective is if everybody was restaking the exact same use case, now all of a sudden you're starting to embed certain risks into the underlying Ethereum protocol, Yes. right? I mean, not in, in an indirect fashion because you're locking up all of this collateral that's all trying to validate you know, one single new specific network or use case or whatnot. And if there was a, a particular issue, I mean, I know it's an edge case, but like take it to its logical extreme. Uh, there are other risks that exist as well for, for ETH the protocol if too many people are restaking. And Jason had mentioned, we were talking about this prior, that Vitalik had, had written about this a couple of months back. Yeah. So I do want to quickly add that, first of all, Eigenlayer is providing validating services. So it's not a DeFi protocol and it's, it's not DeFi services. But Jack, to your point about how there is a possibility of systemic risk. And if you take an example, if you have a large proportion of restakers validating the three exact same services, and if they have a malicious intent, they will get slashed. But that impacts the security of Ethereum because now you suddenly have a smaller number of stakers validating Ethereum. So you have this negative uh, flywheel effect. And you're yeah, yeah. So I would I would 100% uh, check out Vitalik's uh, post. I think it's called uh, Don't Overload Ethereum's Consensus. Well, and it's, it's coming at an interesting time where you know, and this might be a hot take, but like, you know, Ethereum is arguably just getting its sea legs, you know, after moving from proof of work to proof of stake, right? So like, it's kind of like, it's it's not completely untried. Obviously, a lot of testing has gone into, into it, but we are in somewhat uncharted territory here. And it kind of seems like you're adding more, you know, uh, systemic complexity by doing this, you know, at a time when, you know, the, the track record, you know, for, for proof of work in Ethereum is much longer than proof of stake, right? So we're still, it's still a relatively new concept. I mean, it is a new concept, but I'm sure, Ryan, you might have heard of merged mining, 
right? This used to be like 2012, 2013, yeah. which was this idea that you could use the same proof of work GPUs to mine more than one blockchain. Like you could mine, yeah. I remember I heard about merge mining for the first time where you could mine Litecoin and Dogecoin with the same GPUs. Well, Bitcoiners are, are talking about drive chains, right? Being the the scalability solution to Bitcoin or, or yeah. the ability to yeah, add. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Honestly, Bitcoin, right? I mean, yeah. Ryan, you would know better than me. On, yeah, on, or, I, I did have like this, this twinge of familiarity with this discussion and some of the risks and the benefits. It's so the same why, thing. Yeah, just with miners as the you know is the collateral and and working the network and validating transactions. No, so in merged mining, you do not have any sort of slashing risk. And that's the difference. Well, well, it's, yeah, it's value out, right? right? Exactly. So, exactly. so that's a that's a big part of it. But uh, before before we move on to uh, DDCC, a quick thing which I want to explain. So, we spoke about these services for validation, and these are called AVS, actively validated service. So, AVS one might say, "Hey, I'm super conservative. If you want to restake, you can use native Ethereum only, or the Ethereum that you have staked uh, on the protocol." AVS two might say, "Hey." Like bring it all. I'm I'm pretty aggressive. Any kind of liquid staking token, whether it's Steed, Reed, Frax, Seed, all of them work. Uh, just make sure that you are validating correctly. Uh, so you can see how it's hyper customizable. Even for a service, as a staker, I can choose if I want to be part of the service or not. Um, and so that's that. I think is a is a pretty fun innovation because it kind of decreases the bar uh, for innovation. Right. Uh, like uh, now these projects don't have to think about some weird tokenomics. All they can do is they can think about the true product and, and instead of thinking about uh, network security. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. I think it's a really fascinating concept and it'll certainly be interested, interesting to see like, you know, what the adoption looks like, particularly, you know, Jack, you very briefly touched on L2s and there's other kind of approaches to anchoring to these chains for other to bring utility to other, um, you know, platforms and networks. So I think, you know, there's multiple ways to go about doing similar things, not the same thing. So, you know, definitely interesting to, uh, interested to watch this over the coming months and, and year. Um, all right, let's, let's quickly shift gears. So something a lot different. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about DTCC, um, and their acquisition as a currency. So, uh, Jason, you want to maybe talk a little bit about the acquisition. And I, I think also important here is the kind of historical context, right? DTCC has been very active in this space. Um, so yeah, do you, do you mind providing an overview? I, I will. And I can actually tie it together because when you think about this, restaking these other protocols are inheriting security from the layer one you could actually look at dtcc almost as if it's a securities a central securities depository layer one which has more gravity more security and their decision to acquire securency which is a tokenization platform uh, the securency business inherits the security of the dtcc uh, stability in terms of being a, a market cornerstone so it's a bit of a stretch but Looking, uh, sorry, zooming back out, the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation is the place where securities, uh, equities, bonds, et cetera, settle within the United States. So they clear and they settle. So um, they're facilitating the management of the risk between the trade and the settlement for all these market participants. And as such, they interoperate with depositories around the globe for multi-listed securities. So, huge cornerstone of the global financial market, particularly the securities settlement markets. So it was announced last week that Securency, 
a, a tokenization and compliance platform was being acquired by the DTCC and would now operate as a wholly owned subsidiary. Now, why this is really interesting is um, that Securency as a as a company had been formed about eight years ago, just just under eight years ago, and they had focused on bringing tokenization uh, to the reality of, of the markets. And they'd been known for working and had supported the the tokenization of 40 Act funds offered by Wisdom Tree, for example. But they also had a transfer agency business that was part of their their core business. And they sold that earlier this year. I think it may have been in April. Uh, they sold that business to Wisdom Tree. So here we are. Uh, let's call it roughly eight months later. Now the entire company is being acquired by the depository. So you might say. Uh, why would DTCC be interested in acquiring Securency? Well, the depository has been working on uh, tokenization-related projects for some time. And we've, we've talked in the past about Project ION, where they're creating digital twins of uh, securities, equities that are held at the depository for uh, accelerating the clearing of a trade. Doesn't affect the back-end settlement. You still have the traditional plumbing there. But they'd also worked on uh, private market tokenization in the past. And it was a project called Project Whitney. Now, I haven't heard too much. I don't know whether or not they'd still been active. But in this case, Securency would give the DTCC an asset that could be used to facilitate tokenization. And it could be for private markets, in theory. It could be for publicly listed um, investments in the long run. That That's TBD. But the depository is known for facilitating all things post-trade. So in this context, what they're going to do is they're going to continue to license the currency uh, platform. So almost like a platform as a service offering to those clients who can license the software. So it doesn't necessarily mean that DTCC is going to go out and tokenize all the things that they have using currency. In fact, they may or may not, you know, time will tell, but they will continue to offer the services that currency it seems they'll offer the services that the currency have been offering to their clients. So, you know, it is it is interesting whether or not we'll we'll see it focus on private markets first would seem to make sense to me, but I, I don't really know. So Jason, is the currency taking the role of being the transfer agent for digital assets here? No. So they actually in a prior to having sold off the the transfer agency business, they could have. Uh, but they sold that part of the business earlier this year to Wisdom Tree. So it, it looks that Securency's platform will be there for the tokenization and enforcement of compliance regulations associated with any tokens that are launched using the Securency technology. But the, the, it, within the acquisition, the DTCC is assuming uh, or bringing over the leadership uh, of Securency, uh, the team, as well as about a hundred uh, employees of Securency, and they'll operate as a as a new newly labeled part of DTCC, which is essentially being a, called DTCC Digital Assets. Yeah, what's interesting to me is is kind of if you if you zoom out, um, you know their their experimentation, and I guess kind of reading between the lines their strategy, right? Because you know I think where people's minds immediately go is okay, what if every you know public 
you know, fixed income instrument or, you know, equity instrument is tokenized? Like, what does that do for trading and settlement? And kind of what's the role of DTC in that process, right? If you have now blockchain-based tokens that are meant to represent these assets. Um, and I think to that end, like we've seen, I think we've seen some previous research, right, Jason, out of DTC, kind of looking at, you know, uh, daily trade volumes and and understanding if dlts could handle kind of the transaction throughput that would be required to, to do that and that i think largely is like a theoretical exercise um and i think uh, when you think about the tokenization of you know financial instruments public markets is, is a big nut to crack right um absolutely Whereas Absolutely. private markets, like that's that's an area where we've you know seen interest you know from DTCC, but many startups are trying to solve this problem because it's it's um you know a less mature market in terms of how we think about trading and settlement, um, and there's much less standardization, of course. And the number of private companies has gone up as the number of publicly listed right. companies have gone down over the years. Yeah. So I, I think you're right. I think it's a good way to look at it, and some of that volume. Um, testing that they were they were looking at. I believe they used Corda as the ledger for some of that. Uh, they may have also done some work with Hyperledger in the past. But I think the the key here is if you're the, one of the world's largest, if not the largest, central securities depository, you're going to focus on getting the day job done correctly. And when you look at the innovation side of things and trying to drive change. Uh, for them, it seems that in this case, it made sense strategically to acquire a technology that could allow them to move faster on that evolution journey. It may be giving them access and exposure to a, a different segment of the market than they currently support or enhancing their capabilities in a segment that they're already working to support. But right. in the end, I think you're, you're looking at even the leadership of Securency. They have a lot of TradFi experience within that shop. So, you know, this is a, a situation where the, the bridging between the TradFi operations and tokenization um, seems like it will be beneficial to the depository. Yeah, and certainly something that will be really interesting, again, to watch um, as they kind of integrate those capabilities into their business. All right. any uh, Anything else? Otherwise, I think we can uh, we can leave it there for this week. Ryan, I, I, I know you almost thought this was a meeting, right? <laughs> you, yeah. <laughs> that's why you said anything else. Any other comments? <laughs> Do you need anything else? From us? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, guys, thanks. It was it was good being back with all of you together again. Uh, great discussion. And um, thank you for everyone for tuning in this week. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you really soon. Have a great rest of your week. See you. Bye. Bye. Crypto as an asset class is highly volatile, can become illiquid at any time, and is for investors with a high risk tolerance. Crypto may also be more susceptible to market manipulation than securities. Crypto is not insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation or the Securities Investor Protection Corporation. Investors in crypto do not benefit from the same regulatory protections applicable to registered securities. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. This podcast was produced by the Fidelity Center for Applied Technology, also known as FCAT. FCAT does not offer digital assets nor provide clearing or custody of such assets. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide tax, legal, insurance, or investment advice and should not be construed as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation for any security or other asset by any fidelity entity or third party. Views expressed are as of the date indicated based on the information available at the time and may change based on market or other conditions. 
Unless otherwise noted, the opinions provided are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. Fidelity does not assume any duty to update any of the information. Fidelity and any other third parties mentioned in the podcast are independent entities and are not affiliated. Mentioning them does not suggest a recommendation or endorsement by Fidelity. This information is not intended for distribution to or use by any person or entity in any jurisdiction or country where such distribution would, or use would be contrary to local law or regulation. Persons accessing this information are required to inform themselves about and observe such restrictions. Third-party trademarks appearing herein are the property of their respective owners. All others are the property of FMR LLC. Copyright 2023 FMR LLC. All rights reserved. One zero four zero one five six.